2: The following podcast contains explicit language. Listen, if you want, we can
0: enroll you in the intensive weekend classes too. It's an additional cost, but I think it's really worth it here. You can't afford that. It's an investment in your future, David. It's important for your parents no, and but your. You don't understand. Look, I've done this for 10 years. I've counseled over 1,000 students. I think I understand. No, you don't. You just don't. <sighs> yeah.
1: Hey, welcome back to Represent. I'm Aisha Harris, your host, as always, and that clip you heard at the top of the show is from Spot Night. And I'm excited to bring to you today a very fascinating conversation with Josa, the star of Spot Night, and I'm really excited to let you all hear the conversation and went in a very interesting direction uh so it'll be very fun but first we have alex jung from new york mag joining us again today Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and actually alex you i think you mentioned it as your plus in your last episode the, the movie spot night i
2: did yeah i did
1: and i don't remember what you said but you raved about it and <laughs> am i am i uh, projecting you didn't rave about it but you i liked it okay
2: yeah I'm, it. i it, I I almost feel bad saying that in some ways Eh,
1: sometimes. You don't have to like everything. Right. No, no, no. (laughs) Or love everything. Right.
2: Love everything. Yes. Um, I thought what I really liked about it was that it felt like it came from this very familiar and specific place. Like it felt like L.A. Koreatown. Yeah. And it felt like a story about a very specific person in that world. Mm -hmm. And the, the things that I sort of didn't like so much about it was what I felt were more tonal of it. It did feel very bleak to me as a film. Mm, yeah. Sometimes watching it, I just like, I wanted him to have a friend.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was very lonely in it, that yeah, movie.
2: Right. It's it's a movie that I think is very much driven by a feeling of alienation and isolation.
1: Mm-hmm. But I definitely think it's it's worth watching. And, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. And the actor Joe is is very he's a very fascinating guy, and we had a really fun conversation. So. And
2: also like just him as an actor, from what I understand, he. Had to go to Korea to do work, right, to find work as an actor, which is, you know, lucky for him in the sense that he's bilingual and he could do that. But at the same time, sad that he needs to go to another country to find work, even though he's American. Yeah,
1: Uh, we get into that, too. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, yeah, so today you and I are going to talk about Transparent right. season 3, right.
2: which a coming of age story of its own in some ways.
1: Yes, yes. And and Transparent for those who aren't totally familiar, this is a show on Amazon. I think it might actually be the first Amazon show that has it sort of broke the mold and put Amazon on the map in mm-hmm. terms of not just, you know, a big box company or place where you buy your, you know, clothes or toothbrushes or whatever it's it's a it, it, it made the them a viable player in the world of netflix and hulu totally. and got them those emmys yeah it, yeah it did yeah and well ju- i mean we could jump start with that where <laughs> <laughs> the emmys were last week and jeffrey tambor the star of the show he mm-hmm. plays mora mm-hmm. and he's on on transparent he plays i don't remember what his Original his his like male name on the show was Mort. Mort. Mm -hmm. Ah, yes. His name was Mort, and he is transitioning to become Mora. And
2: although Mora would say Mora was always Mora,
1: true. Right. Thank you for that correction. (laughs) Yes, Mora was always Mora. Mora is just coming to the forefront. And I don't know if we love Mora as a viewer. (laughs) She. That's the thing about the show is that all the all, all of the characters for the most part are just very difficult to like yes. I think as people
2: yes especially the kids
1: especially the kids but I digress Jeffrey Tamper <laughs> won <laughs> for playing Mora, and he gave a really I think in many ways great speech uh, about how he wishes that there were more opportunities for trans actors to actually play these roles right. and I'm paraphrasing but he said along the lines of like if I was the last person to, to last cisgender person to play a trans person, I would not be upset about that. Right? Um, What did you think about that?
2: I think he's right, right? Like, I think in an ideal world, that is what would happen. That is not what's going to happen, sadly, (laughs) um, as more films are being greenlit or in production or whatever with cis actors playing trans characters. Um, I... you know, transparent is in a really unique moment in the sense that I think it helped this conversation of trans people in media and pop culture and television shows and film and things like that um as part of the more of a mainstream conversation. And at the same time, it's it, it's finding itself having to stay ahead of the curve in some ways. Yeah, um, and that's a difficult thing to do when you've built a show around a cis actor. To play a trans character. And so I think that they understand that that in and of itself is a sort of contradiction and difficulty. But we also, you know, like, I think, to be fair, have to remember that this is three years, like two or three years that this has sort of shifted very radically. And that's not to like necessarily give them a pass. Mm-hmm. But I do think that at least from what I can tell with Jill and Jeffrey
1: and by Jill you mean Jill Soloway, Jill Soloway, the creator.
2: Yeah, Jill Soloway, the creator, and Jeffrey Tambor, the actor. They they seem to understand that that this is no longer tenable.
1: Right. Well, let's dive in a bit into the first episode, which I think kind of speaks to that mm. that aspect, mm-hmm. although not necessarily from the the side of a cis actor playing a a trans person, but wanting to address the criticisms that have been laid at the show's feet for not being as inclusive when it comes to race and class. And I'm curious what you think about it. Uh-huh. I, I, I,
2: I'm I, also curious to hear what you think about well, it. Well, <laughs> okay, so
1: the way I feel about that is sort of the way I felt about girls, which is that this is their worlds right. like so I and these people exist in a bubble right. and so it to me it's realistic for them not to have much interaction with people of low, of different classes of of different races that's just they're very insular and that's the way it is right and I think with girls obviously Lena Dunham I, I think Maybe because it was 2012 and we were – it was a different – sort of different time. But Lena Dunham got way more flack for it than I think Joel Soloway has done. Like I feel like there's not as much loud criticism about the way Transparent has addressed it as there was for girls. Right. Um, that being said, the way Lena Dunham tried to fix it was like – let me make, give myself a black boyfriend in season two for a few episodes played by Donald Glover. Right. And then it just kind of receded to the background. Right. And in this season, I feel at least in the first episode, it's way more integrated in a, I don't know if natural is the right word, but in a more believable way yeah. than it was on girls. I
2: would agree with that. Um I mean, so to, recap in the first episode at least mora is working for what i can tell as far as like a queer youth hotline
1: kind of thing yeah sort of a hotline i don't know if it's a crisis hotline per se but i'm sure a lot of people who call in have like emergency crises right
2: and i think you know i think that does feel like a natural way of allowing Mora to interface with people that are of different backgrounds than her my problem, I guess, mm-hmm. with it is, like, I, I agree with you. Like, I don't think that, like, I sort of, the show is what it is, right? Like, it, to me, it makes sense that this rich Jewish family wouldn't really interact with poor people or people <laughs> of color. right? Like, that seems real to me. And so I think, shoot, like, trying to force conversations of race into that would then in some ways be uncomfortable or feel artificial mm. i think the first episode did a good job in terms of making it feel real and natural because you see Mora try to track down someone who called her
1: and her um her name is eliza and she's a trans black woman who calls Mora picks up and Mora says all the wrong things right. to her and she's flustered and then she tries to connect with her by saying i'm i'm like right. oh i think eliza calls her sir or something or mister right. and she says well actually i'm tr- i'm trans right. and eliza says oh i am too but then because morris says all the wrong things eliza eventually just winds up hanging up but she does get a kernel of information of where she might be right. so this leads mora on a, a journey to try yeah. to find her and track her down and try to help her right. and she winds up in like a swat like a swat swat meet, swap meet yeah. um which is in, like, South L.A., which is where most people of color are. I did like a moment when Mora is there in the swap meet and she f- she finds some trans women, mm-hmm. some trans Latina women, mm-hmm. and at first the conversation goes really well. She's mm-hmm. just like, I'm, I'm trans too. She's speaking in like sort of broken Spanish right. and they're like very receptive right. and she asks them if they've seen a girl with green hair because Eliza has green hair. But then it goes south as soon as she says, have you seen her in the streets? Right. And they're like, uh, well, actually I'm in nursing school. These two girls are like, whatever and I was like based on the way these things sometimes go I was expecting that conversation to sort of reaffirm Maura as like a sympathetic not that she's a sympathetic character usually but to sort of make it seem as though oh at least she's trying Mm -hmm. but there is no the Latina trans people, like they don't they don't give her any leeway. They're yeah. like oh,
2: they didn't give her a pass. Not at all. And, and I the last look that they give her oh, was so good. It
1: was so good. And I appreciated that because yeah. it was like we're not we're not letting up on you. We're not gonna give you that pass. And I, I, I liked that moment and I think in a way it puts her in this position, more in a position of she's she's still trying to work things out. And mm-hmm. she's still she still has all of these advantageous aspects to right, her. Right. Uh, did you see any parallel to her? I, I see in parallel Caitlin to her in Caitlyn Jenner. Like, it's so <laughs> obvious. And Caitlyn Jenner even makes an appearance in, in a later episode, I yeah. think, as herself. I couldn't tell. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. As herself in a in a hazy dream state. Yeah. Like a yeah. drug-induced state. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why I like the episode, is that I, I don't feel as though the show gives Maura a pass and sort of shows how trans experiences can be very, very different um, when intersected with other things like class and race, um, I th- and and I liked that Mora doesn't save her in the end, right? Like Mora f- finds and tracks down Eliza, but she isn't the one who saves her. Eliza is, in some ways, maybe the one who saves her, right? right? Because she is the one who cracks other people that she is female. And then that's when she faints and then has to be taken to the hospital. And so, like, I appreciated those moves where you didn't necessarily have a white savior mm-hmm. saving someone. You had a white savior who was trying to be a white savior and fucked it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But then my problem with, the, with this whole conversation is that then you drop it. Like, the show drops this entire... Sort of meditation on white fragility. It sort of calls out to the phrase white fragility in when Allie is uh, TAing a class with other TAs and she talks about it and someone brings up the idea of white fragility. Yeah. So it's very much clearly on their minds, but it, thematically it just disappears after the premiere, which is what I find disappointing because if you're going to deal with it and have a conversation about it, then it should be something more than a one-off episode.
1: And that's the problem that you often face when a, I think a creator tries to directly address Mm -hmm. critics Mm -hmm. is that they do it for like one episode or maybe two and then it just goes away. It's the same thing that happened with girls. Granted, you could say I did start to see in in general more people of color just in the background Mm -hmm. of Transparent than I did before. In that scene with the right fragility, there's Nicole Byer, the comedian, mm-hmm. is um, in that episode. And there's a few other people sprinkled out. And there's also the the rabbi. is Right. Rabbi? rabbi
2: Raquel's um, love interest,
1: new yes. love interest.
2: That's not Josh. Yeah. Who is I, my assumption. And I I don't think this is actually explained, is that he's a mixed race Jewish rabbi also. Right. Or a cantor, rather. Yes. Um And... Again, I, that's great, right? I, like, love that that is being brought into the conversation. But, again, my problem with that was that it is not actually addressed in any substantive way during the series, so at you, least this season.
1: So you think that, that, like, the fact that he is mixed race should be addressed in some way? Or?
2: I don't know. I mean, I guess, like, that's that's an interesting question. I guess I feel like it's a slightly missed opportunity because you don't talk about Jewish people who are not white ever. True. And right? the show is
1: like, very much about the Jewish culture. But it... Right, It does feel very, even insular in that right. sense. Like, it
2: feels very Ashkenazi Jew. Yes, um, yeah. It, and, you know, there are Jewish people who are Asian, American, yeah. you know? There are black Jews. Yes. And, but that, <laughs> you know, that, like, and so if you bring an actor who is of that, or who is playing a character of that background, that's an interesting thing to think about, mm-hmm. right? Rather than just leave alone.
1: But, you know, like, even right. Even if it was just, like, a offhand remark that sure. someone makes about it Right. whether it's <laughs> offensive or not offensive or just right. like yes he is a person of color right. and there are no other like barely any other people of color in the synagogue right. so
2: yes I'm not saying we need to have a very special episode about it right
1: but something it's maybe. about it's about <laughs> acknowledging because that's the thing like right we don't want we don't want people to be colorblind like we want to we want people to a- acknowledge our differences right And, you know, that I agree. Now that I think about it, it, it does feel like a missed opportunity.
2: Right. Well, and I guess just in context of the first episode, too, where I feel like they sort of drop the race stuff. Yeah. I think that's where I start to start to feel a little skeptical of what's going on. Right. Of like wanting to have a conversation about race or saying that you're open to doing that, but then not really committing to it.
1: Right. Do we want to shift a bit to talking about Mora's transition in general because sure. in in this this season she is going even further in terms of her exploration of like what she wants and and how she wants to live her life and in uh, one of the earlier episodes, she announces to her family and also her 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 what what did she call it her chosen family. Mm-hmm. Which includes her girlfriend Vicky, played by Angelica Houston. She announces that I don't want to be called Mappa anymore. Right. I want to. I'm planning to get full surgery and also get my face done. And like the way the show has been progressing, it feels like something Mm -hmm. that I'm not surprised is happening. You've seen more of the show than I have at this point. I've watched the first. I've watched half of it. I've watched the first five episodes, and I haven't seen the the last ten yet. Bad. But I know. Um, like mo- too much TV. It's- There's just too, right. too much freaking TV. And the
2: expectation to just sort of watch all of it
1: yeah. at once is a lot. I, I commend you for for watching all of it at once. Well,
2: you know it's it's for the job.
1: <laughs> true, true. I mean, this is my job too, but I, <laughs> but the, I'm I'm doing this on behalf of the. It folks. It Hasn't even been a week. It hasn't. Know? It hasn't. And I'm doing this on behalf of the folks who, like me, don't have time, even when it is my job to right. watch every single thing. Right. But so, how do you see that progression? Do we? Do, is the the idea because there is a moment when I believe Vicky or another character says, you know. If you're if you want to get all of this done, then you are sort of giving into this these these rigid ideas of what gender is, or it says that you don't love yourself as you are. Do you think the show handles that struggle that she's having well or effectively?
2: Hmm. Uh, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that question necessarily. Mm-hmm. I I do feel like I'm. I at least appreciate that that conversation is being had that it's not a given right like I think the narrative often in like mainstream pop culture is that this is the the trajectory that a trans person is supposed to go through right and that's actually not the case where there's uh, non-op trans people there are people who you know like choose to go through gender confirmation surgery and facial feminization surgery and all of these things but there's actually a a wide array of ways of being trans too. That doesn't necessarily have to follow a script, right? Like not everyone is going to like also be able to afford it. Um, Right. So there's, you know, there's a lot of these, I think layers to being trans that I, you know, like I hope are part of the conversation, which, you know, not to spoil the season for you, but like things get complicated. Um, with regard to Mora's desire to have surgery hmm. um, that I think will potentially set up and open the conversation for the next season into these questions of, you know, what does it perhaps mean to not have surgery um, and be a trans woman?
1: In in a way, this that's one thing I think Transparent is pretty good at, at least from my perspective, is – Is asking those questions and then exploring them. I guess my only to bring it back a bit to the idea of of class. I guess my my biggest issue with the show is never that it was a show in which they're all wealthy and in which they don't interact with people of color. I guess my biggest issue was like it's a it's the for a while it was the only show that really centered around it, and it's all it always seems to be anytime we get into um, groundbreaking territory. It's with people of a, of a higher class. Mm-hmm. Like even the Cosby Show. You think about mm-hmm. a show like that. Like they had to be really wealthy and rich and well off mm-hmm. and not have to worry about money, in order for things to push to right. push forward. There are
2: not many shows that deal with class actively. I think.
1: Yeah, I've heard. Sh- I've never watched Shameless, but I've heard Shameless does right. a really good job of doing. Uh, also, that. I
2: think the middle. It's supposed to do a fairly good job of, you know, at least doing a working class, middle yeah. class yeah. thing.
1: And The Wire, too, I think was very good at that.
2: Right, right. You know, I do think to bring in one aspect or what I, I think one way in which the show has been successful in terms of bringing in different conversations that don't center around more specific experience are characters like Shay, right? Who um, they sort of pair off with Josh. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think you've seen it yet. But, like, she goes on a road trip with him to go deliver – spoiler alert, sorry (laughs) – Rita's ashes to their son. It's there that, like, it's clear that there's a sexual relationship, I think, between them um, or or maybe a budding one. And she brings up things like that she's HIV positive, that uh, if he would be interested in a relationship that maybe he would explore PrEP. Like, these are, like, conversations that uh, are very much a part of – a lot of people's experiences in the trans community but is not one that Mora is likely to have. And I think like that's an, you know, a useful example of like how people of different class backgrounds and races bring in you know more texture to the conversation of mm-hmm. like there are so many different ways of being and living and experiencing this thing that you sort of call trans. Right. Which is true for every part of the LGBT community. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I think we could obviously talk about Transparent all day yeah. after I've seen the rest of the, the season, which will be soon, I'm sure. But yeah, I, I'm i looking, if you guys have any thoughts about Transparent season three or even season two and one, uh, holler at us and we'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think about the show and, and how it handles all these issues we've talked about. Moving on, we have our plus delta segment. Plus and, delta, yes. And I know you were sort of fretting over your delta I but... <laughs> 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 prior Why to us put recording. Me on blast. <laughs> I think it's actually a good. It's. I think it'll be good.
2: Okay. Delta. Are we starting with deltas then?
1: Uh, you could start with whatever you'd like. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm probably going to start with a delta because I, I, I try not to end the show on a on – a Okay. Non- or end the segment on a negative note. Okay. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm happy to start with a delta. All right. Um, and to, uh, explain to people listening what I was telling you before we started recording. Um, I, last night uh, – so I, this is uh, uh, the night after the debates – uh, Will and Grace released uh, like a short episode, I guess, like a 10 minute ish episode that is the same characters, uh, the same four characters, Will, Grace, Jack and Karen um, in, you know, Will's apartment and they are in the present day. So they're talking about the election. And so it's a election centered uh, sketch or whatever Mm. uh, episode um and karen of course is a trump supporter uh she says lots of racist things um and uh the comedy felt like it it felt like it was the show from 10 years ago like that's exactly what it felt like and if you remember the show the show functioned on a certain kind of homophobia and uh and racism, you know, like, uh, Karen was funny because she was racist, right? But Very we, Archie Bunker. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's like a classic model that I think has clearly gotten outdated. Um, and I think watching it in this context in the present day was that kind of wake-up call of, like, this is getting really antiquated, right? Like, um, they, like, make fun of Jack for not being a man again, right? Like What? Right, w- <laughs> which, if you remember, the show was stuff they did. All the on time. The, on the regular, right? I do because remember he was that, was flamboyant, yeah. and so therefore not quite or not enough. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching this on my – so I I got home late, and I was, like, in my bed watching it on my phone. Um, I was just, like, chortled, even though I, like, <laughs> I knew that it was bad. Like, in my head, I was like, uh, Like, I winced yeah. when I, like, heard all the jokes again. But I guess, like, there was a nostalgia there that I was like, uh, it's kind of funny.
1: It's like my experience of watching Sex and the City <laughs> <laughs> ten years later. Right. Right. Ugh. Right. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> right. Right. That's very generous of you. Thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can. I'm just saying I can relate.
2: Right. And so this is to say that, like, I remember I tweeted last night, like late last night after I had watched it, I just tweeted like, uh, like this. I sort of enjoyed this question mark question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I woke up in the morning with some people being like. That was kind of fucked up. And then I was you know, and yeah. I thought about it and I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that was totally kind of fucked up. Like it's it 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 really brings into relief the fact that this comedy just doesn't fly anymore. Yeah, um,
1: I mean maybe that's a that's a good sign, right? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I definitely think that you could say the same for so much of, of that era of, of television and, and I think Yes, it's – yeah, it, it all of that sounds terrible. But at the same time, the fact that people <laughs> don't think it's good is a good sign that we are right. maybe moving away from such, like, not even funny humor. Yeah. But w- on the more positive side, what is your plus?
2: So there's a t- – so the thing is I'm actually having trouble picking one thing. I do think I, – I do just want to say the fall offering of TV is phenomenally good. Yes, it like, is. Just across the board, insecure Atlanta. I just
1: watched the first episode of Insecure. It's so good, it's so, good. It's so good. It's so good. I love, I love Visa.
2: Um <laughs> One Mississippi. Um, T- Take right? Yeah, yeah. Tignataro's uh, One Mississippi, Speechless, starring Mini Driver. There's just a lot of really good shows that surprisingly don't focus on any. Straight white men.
1: <laughs> and
0: it's guess what? So they're all really good.
1: And they're all also just very different, too. Yes. Yeah. The variety is great. It's not like TV is, or at least most networks are not producing the same sort of, right. we have this formula and now we're going to do it. We see with most things where it's Modern Family now, we have to have like. Every show like Modern Family, right, right. we're seeing all these varieties of different characters and, and different themes and different ideas. And
2: I guess so. So I, I'm trying to pick one that I feel like uh, is all out that someone can enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to shout out Fleabag, I guess, out of this group.
1: Oh, have I? I have not. And it's heard of
2: that. A, right. And it's a little less like known. And I, I think that's the other reason I have. Uh, it's by Phoebe Waller-Bridge and she is an actor and comedian in the UK. Hmm. Um, and it started off as a one woman play that she did in Edinburgh um, like a few a couple of years ago. Or a few years ago. And she uh, turned it into a TV show and it's six episodes or so on Amazon. Uh-huh. And so you can just watch it now. Um, it's a woman dealing with grief and loss. Um, it's a comedy. Uh, <laughs> and so she's also like incredibly in some way self-destructive. Uh, she's also considers herself this sexually voracious uh, person. And it is just really good. Mm. Um Uh, She does this really interesting uh, talking to the camera, breaking the fourth wall style that is the best I've ever seen it done. Um, It doesn't annoy me like other shows, Mm -hmm. uh, like in House of Cards, for instance. Um, It's an excellent, excellent show. So I would highly recommend that. uh, As just if you're bored, watch that on the weekend.
1: I also like the fact that it's only six episodes, yes. yeah. which it's seems so easy. Yeah, I, I recently got into Catastrophe, and that's also oh, six episodes, and it was so easy to yeah. watch because yeah. six episodes exactly. a season. Uh, well, like I said, I'm going to start with My Delta because I don't like to end on sad notes all the time. Um, <laughs> although My Delta is not so much a you've got to do better Hollywood. It's more of a you've got to do better universe. Uh <laughs> <laughs> So over the weekend, Bill Nunn, who uh, is best known for creating Radio Rahim from Do the Right Thing, died. Yeah. And it just really, considering all the things that are happening right now in the news and all of the unarmed black people who continue to get shot and we continue to watch it happen on video. And it, it his death just feels in a way so poignant and... Sad, and he, he was obviously he did lots of other things. He was in other Spike Lee movies, he was in like the Spider Man movies, but he will forever, I think, be Radio Rahim.
0: Radio
1: and what that means to cinema and to black people and black culture, it saddens me. And it just adds another person gone too soon from 2016.
0: Oh shit, let me check it out. That's the hype. Newest latest. Let me tell you the story of right hand, left hand. It's a tale of good and evil. Hey, It was with this hand that Cain iced his brother. Love. With these five fingers, they go straight to the soul of man.
1: On the more positive, happy side of the spectrum, as of this morning, Tuesday morning when we're recording this, the trailer for Fences dropped. and I already watched it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Fences is the August Wilson play that people probably, if you know anything about August Wilson, they probably know that the best. And the, the, the trailer dropped. It's starring Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. They both won the Tony mm-hmm. for this play when it came out on Broadway a few years ago. So I didn't get to see it. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people didn't get to see it. Right. And now that we have Denzel and Viola on screen doing this, and Denzel is directing, right? Which is what? Like, yeah. it just has all of these. And I know it, in a way it seems very Oscar baity, but and they're releasing it in time for the Oscars. Right.
2: It's coming out on Christmas Day, I believe.
1: Of course it is. <laughs> it's <a Christmas> present. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm just super excited about it. It uses a famous, pretty well known speech from the. The, the, the play to sort of illustrate and there's all these images going on and you see Viola crying in that Remember, remember in doubt when she has like all the snot and you're uh-huh. just like i want to wipe the snot well we see more of that and it's just great and she is fully committed to the snot she is so fully committed which, I which that it. is real <laughs> yeah, so, it's not like a tear no nope. it's like that's snot.
2: no yeah it's real crying it's not pretty crying
1: yeah she is excellent at at, at just full-on yeah. crying and i'm just excited I'm, I'm also really excited to see denzel i mean i've written about this before and i talked about it and Magnificent Seven, I must say, is actually a very enjoyable movie. It has its Wait, really, yeah, it has its there. I I have some issues with it, uh-huh. but overall, I think Magnificent Seven is just like a fun time with the movies, and okay. it's great to see Denzel on a horse. Uh-huh. But I also have worried about him getting too far into like old man action hero, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's great to see him going back to mm-hmm. something meatier and just giving us all that Denzel that right. we've come to know and love anyway yeah I'm so glad to have you on again thanks Alex. for having me on and where can people find you and your work
2: uh, you can read my work on New York Magazine's Vulture.com, or follow me on Twitter at E underscore Alex Jung.
1: all right And now, let's jump into my conversation about Spot Night. Spot Night tells the story of David, a first-generation Korean-American living in L.A., who finds himself at a crossroads when his family's restaurant where he's worked is forced to go out of business. Does he please his parents by studying for the SATs and going on to college? Or does he figure out what he wants to do with his life on his own? Writer-director Andrew Ahn's film is a beautiful and contemplative movie about the child of immigrants' experience and gay male self-discovery. And I have the pleasure of talking with its star, Joe Suh, about digging into the role of David, being a working Asian-American actor, and much more. Check it out. Thank you so much for joining me today, Joe. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) So in Spa Night, your character, David, you have spent most of your young adult life uh, working in your parents' restaurants, and then suddenly your parents' restaurant goes out of business. Right. And so you have to figure out sort of... What you want to do with your life and and where to go from here. Right. I'm curious as to whether there were any parallels between your life and and David's life. And if you can talk a little bit about your background.
0: Yeah, th- there are a lot of similarities. Um, and I think this could like be a testament to like a lot of other even like um immigrant families. Mm-hmm. I grew up in um L. A. Most of my life, so was, that's almost. It's parallel to David, mm-hmm. and um, I did help out at my parents' uh, restaurant. They had a restaurant also, but it wasn't Korean. Okay. It was like a it was like a fusion of like just it was just American food, like you know, like a diner, almost like a burgers to um, like Jody. So, like growing up, everyone kind of works and kind of goes for, like we all have similar goals. So, like it's kind of like okay, help out the family, and then also work on your education aspect and the education aspect, just as David, um, it was even more, uh, intense in my life where they're like, I don't care if you don't help out anymore. Don't help out with the family. Just, you know, study studying is helping out for me. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's what my mom would say or stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely a lot of parallels.
1: David is an only child in, in, in the film. Were you also an only child? No, or?
0: I have a younger brother. Okay. Yeah. And so
1: you both sort of yeah, shared we, the brunt of that. We it. gave
0: our parents hell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and what like besides the sort of academic pressures uh-huh. and were were you you were expected to were you expected yeah, to go to of College? Of course.
0: Expected to go to Harvard, not not college. Harvard. Um <laughs> expected to be a a surgeon. Um yeah, all that we had all these aspirations that my parents give gave us, and since as kids we kind of don't know what we really want to do, mm. we we're like, okay, we'll try it and just kind of go with it. But once I found, you know, like the taste of acting, and yeah, I just couldn't let it go. Yeah, yeah, it was like crack.
1: <laughs> well, how did how like how did you find the taste of acting, and, um, and and how did your parents respond when you told them?
0: Mm, well, I still haven't really told them, like, I'm going to act for the rest of my life. Like, they just kind of see it through my actions that, okay, this guy, he he wants to act, like, mm. you know, for them. Uh, but then it's because, like, you never get to, like, tell them, like, you know, just sit down and say, hey, mom and dad, this is kind of what I want to do with my life. Mm. I, I kind of don't have that type of relationship, I guess. It's more like, um, yeah, like... They always told me, like, you know, try your best and whatever you do. So this is something that I kind of go by. And um, I started acting in high school uh, in theater. And it was the most exhilarating feeling in my life. Um, it just kind of gave me wings, you know, like, because when your parents... Well, when you have all these pressures as kids, like, um, you end up doing something completely opposite or... Uh, getting into a lot of, like, I guess, trouble. Mm -hmm. And I was a pretty troublesome kid growing up uh, and almost hated living, in a sense. And there was points in my life where I hated, like, joy. I hated happiness. I hated other people even being happy. Mm. It was really like that. I was a really angry kid. Um, However, acting somehow came about. Um, One of my teachers from... um, high school they told me his name is Mr. Lee and he told me hey you need to or oh, you want to try acting and then I was like uh not really because I wasn't really like you know an extrovert mm-hmm. so then I was like uh I don't know He like yeah why don't you try it I think you'll be good and I was like okay sure and once I tried it and I was just like okay this is pretty fun I mm-hmm. felt alive for once and I felt like, yeah, I could come out of this small, bu- like, this bubble that I had, like, you know. Um, it would just really changed my life. And I felt like I was breathing for the first time and feeling alive for the first time. Mm. Um, once I got that, I was like, oh, okay, this is a great feeling. I don't know if I should ever go back to it. Is this a career that I could have? I never thought of that at all. I just... Did it, and then once I got into like college, and I was just like, okay, I really love this. I, I think I want to keep doing it.
1: Did you go to college for acting, or did no? You? Okay,
0: I actually went there.
1: And did you go to Harvard, or no? no? I didn't. Oh, disappointing. So, of course,
0: <laughs> from the get go. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um, no, I went to UCLA, and then um, I majored in anthropology with an African American Studies minor.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Wait. Um, Why African American studies?
0: It's funny. Like people ask me that, but then it's because um, I truly believe the model minority in America are African Americans. I truly believe it because, from seriously from slavery to being a president, that's that's huge. That's amazing. And I think um, African Americans have come a long way. I know there's still way more to go, like way more ways to go. But in, in terms of gaining power in politics in terms of really changing just like you know where they are in society uh, of america like i just feel like that's something that all minorities should learn from or especially asians should learn from and i want to kind of like use that model to help out the asian community that was like one of my dreams to do that you know
1: Mm. in what ways do you think like, is, is there anything in specific that you can take from that that you can oh, yeah. apply to?
0: Solidarity. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much solidarity within the African-American community. And, I don't know, just growing up, because I was born in Oakland. Mm-hmm. I grew up with, like, predominantly African-Americans. And um, I also grew up in L.A. where there's, you know, a huge African-American popul- population. And that's something that I've always had I guess my background in a sense, and it's something that I was always interested in, and I was always wondering why. Like, like if you see the news, there's always movements, and it's it's great to see mm-hmm. because um, just to see a whole community come together to um, to fight for what is right or to even talk about what is right, I think that's huge. I, I think we definitely need that as Asian Americans because we don't really see that. You know, when there are. It's because our culture is really like, even though um, even though there's like maybe hardships that come our way, um, we need to just overcome by not shouting, by not. Uh, it's more we just have to work harder and go through it.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know what I mean. So that's kind of like our culture. Yeah. And um, but I also see the positives in speaking out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's that's so. That's so fascinating. I, I feel like especially I'm, I'm not from the Bay Area, but I know a lot of people and I've talked to a lot of people who are from the Bay Area. And because that space is so diverse, it, right. it makes for people to be a lot more, I, I feel enlightened about those sorts of
0: issues, issues right? and ideas yes. and
1: how they affect other people, it, not just themselves.
0: Right. Yeah. But L.A. is also like it's a good place you know, background for that. You yeah. Know, also.
1: Well, there's also, there's a moment in, there's a really nice moment in the film where you, it's early on where you are speaking, the delivery guy comes and you're oh, speaking yeah, in Spanish yeah, yeah. to him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. then you're translating for him, uh, for your parents in Korean. And it's just like a really nice, sort of slice of what what it, what it can be like to be, like, in a place that's so bustling with so many different cultures. Exactly,
0: and especially L.A. where my uh, soccer teammates, they're all, like, Latinos, you know? Like, mm-hmm. um, people in the neighborhood, they're all Latinos. And it's just, like, you kind of... You have to learn, you know? Like, <laughs> you won't get by. You can't order food, you know? You can't order your <laughs> burritos. Right. You know, whatever, you know? Like, it's just... You just kind of grow up with it and... Um, I learned it in school and also learned it for um, church, like when I went to church. Hmm.
1: Now, could you talk a little bit about, I don't, forgive me, I don't want to pry, no, no, no. but Go for if, I'm curious as to whether what you identify as LGBT or if you're straight and, and if, and also speaking towards like what the, like what Korean Americans and what Koreans sort of how they view LGBTQ issues.
0: Okay. First, like, with the my whole sexual identity, I kind of want to keep that privately to so myself. Right. Yes. But in the terms of um, the community, like, accepting or not accepting LGBT, I think Koreans and Asians in general, we don't really talk about sex, period. It doesn't have to be LGBT, even straight sex. We don't talk about sex, really. Like, it's kind of avoided. So that whole subject matter is avoided, let alone LGBTQ like matters are kind of avoided, so it's kind of like, um, yeah, they don't really talk about it.
1: Mm-hmm. So another aspect of this film is is the fact that David is sort of discovering, or at least tapping into his own sexuality for the first time. Yeah, and Andrew, on the director, he's spoken about how. The The premise for the film is that he was talking to a friend of his and the friend mentioned that he had like had a great hookup in a spa, mm-hmm. in a Korean spa. Mm-hmm. And he realized that this place where he goes with his family during the day at night can sometimes turn into these places where men hook up.
0: Right. Something magical, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Were you aware? Were you aware of this before you signed um, on for the movie?
0: I wasn't aware of it in L.A. necessarily, but in Korea, it's people know of it like oh yeah that's where you know queer people hook up or oh this is where like you know all the celebrities go to this Mm. is where you know like so people kind of know like where which is what and stuff like that in korea
1: did you did you guys do any sort of and i'm not asking this in a in a in a uh, lurid way but i'm curious (laughs) did you like go to different spots and talk to different people about it or how did you sort of do oh, research? Um, or did you do research?
0: Oh, Andrew actually did a lot of the research. Okay, um, him and, and the producers, Keijin, which is he was the DP of our uh, film. Um, yeah, they all went around just to see how it really is, mm. and yeah, it's it's present.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's real. Um, people do talk about it online, mm. and also there are. Places even in LA that's supposedly dedicated to uh, a lot of you know gazing and you know stuff like that.
1: Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I want another thing I want to talk about is is the gaze and, and the the gay male gaze, which is different, obviously. I think from straight male gaze. Mm-hmm. And so, just to clarify for listeners, your character starts to work at the spa mm-hmm. uh, to to help make money for his family. And doesn't tell his parents because they think he's studying for the SAT, right. and he doesn't want to do that. He wants to help them out, right. and so you start working at the spa, and you discover David discovers that the spa is a place for hooking up, and oh, there's lots of just quiet. There's no dialogue in these scenes. It's all about the gaze and and the the not just the gaze, but also the gaze upon different body parts, but not the body parts that you might usually expect. It's not like the gaze necessarily at the the penis or the ass. It's like the gaze at the arms or yeah. like the neck. And That's it,
0: so true. Yeah, you know? like yeah, when you when people do gaze, it's, it's not always about just the penis. It's about everything. Yeah, you know, like it could just be like even like a calf muscle or like you know like yeah, just like maybe his like you know Adam's apple mm-hmm. or you know something like that. Like there's always something sexy about. Somebody, like some parts of their body, mm-hmm. not always the private parts,
1: right. How did you guys go about sort of filming those scenes and and what did you and Andrew and also the other actors sort of talk about um, in in sort of conveying these moments on screen?
0: Well, a, a lot of it had to do with Andrew wanting the audience to see David's perspective. Mm. And the whole like idea was to be focused on David. and. Um, how he goes through these, this whole sexual journey, you mm-hmm. know, like, it's not only like his first like gay experience, it's just, like first sexual experience. So mm. I think a lot of people could relate to that.
1: Mm-hmm. There's also just setting aside the, the sort of sexual components of David's sort of self discovery of himself. There's also the aspect of him frequently working out and right. and really, he's he's Constantly running and and lifting weights and and people comment to your friends who haven't seen you in a while they're like oh he's a beast he's he's gotten so much bigger <laughs> right and that was another thing that stood out to me because so often when we think of men running and working out and beefing up in movies it's usually for this it's because they're playing a sport they're like a boxer or they're gonna be this manly like very super hyper masculine character right. and but. This sort of, it felt more closely to the way women are often perceived because you also see him taking selfies of himself in the bathroom and focusing on his abs and how, how toned he is. And I'm, I'd am i like to know sort of how, what you and Andrew discussed in terms of that.
0: Well, that was all in parallel to David also becoming um, a man mm. or becoming who he can be which or who he is. So it's almost... Um, those stages where it's like a buildup to the final stage where he goes and releases himself and he sprints. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think the body building was him building into this gay character that he is.
1: Earlier uh, in our conversation, you mentioned well, you talked about, how there's a lot you feel the Asian community can, can learn from the, the black community. Yeah. And, you know, lately there's been a lot of discussion among f- relatively well-known Asian actors now, Constance Wu, um, John Cho. Uh, they've they've all sort of spoken up in a way about the Oscar so white controversy and and the <clears throat> limited opportunities for Asian Americans in in Hollywood. And I wonder if you feel like as though the black community within Hollywood has sort of opened the door for now more Asian Americans to come forward and speak up on their own behalf?
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we could have ever stepped on like, stepped in front of the camera, if it wasn't for like movies like Glory in the past, or like anything with Cindy Potier like back in the day. So yeah, there's all these people that have come before us. And it helps a lot. And for the Asian community finally for them to actually stand up and say hey like you know there's these hashtags starring John Cho Mm -hmm. all over the internet you know like (laughs) yeah and like even in the Oscars it was just ridiculous you know like those kids you know
1: oh right just to clarify that's the the Chris Rock bit uh, that he did at the Oscars this year while hosting where he brought out a bunch of Asian kids I don't actually remember what the joke was but I remember it being like come on Chris Rock (laughs) yeah
0: it's (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's...
1: It seems like it's going to take a lot before... Like, it's already taken a lot for black people to get to where we are, and we're not even that high up right. on
0: this. I know what you mean. <laughs> and,
1: but... Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would love to see even, like, a black-Asian collaboration, you know what I mean? That would be right. awesome. Like, yeah. Russia was just the tip of the iceberg, uh, and yeah. it's just... <laughs> yeah, that's another level of... Yeah, I mean, the brunt of the jokes were just like you know stereotypical Asian jokes, but like nothing. Like, why not do a drama with Asian with Asian black cast? You know, like it'll be amazing. I feel like these stories need to be told, and so many people in America who are now like living in communities where different races all come to mesh together they'll relate to it. And they could actually be like, oh, finally, you know, I could see someone less like myself in these films.
1: Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel as though this role that you have as David, is this the kind of role that you want to see more of? And is this sort of your first substantial role? In it terms is of like my first delayed?
0: substantial one. Even when I, before I took this film, I was just like amazed that something like this was being made
1: mm-hmm. in
0: America. So... Um, yeah, I was working out in Asia just to be co- just because I wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to be a, like some, uh, I don't know, like a, a blue-collar worker. You know, like something that you will never see an Asian male be casted for in America. So something, when I came back and saw a role like this, I was like, wow, this is amazing. He seems, this is like a real story. Like it's, a, it's like a real role. And there's a lot more other stories to be told. I want to see like an Asian Sopranos, you know, like the only stuff out there for Asian Americans are like comedy. You know, they're all comedy stuff like like um, Community or mm-hmm. like, you know, Fresh Off the Boat. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with it, but why not have a thriller or why not have a drama? Why not have some other genre that we could always do, you know? Like, yeah. yeah, I'm just hoping that this was this is just the tip of the iceberg and hopefully a lot more roles will follow.
1: I feel like when it comes to like cinephiles in America and abroad, Asian filmmakers are very much exalted in terms of auteurs and and those who are not working in America, like yeah, a, like yeah, it's who like, are foreign,
0: yeah, like Kim Ki-duk, Park Chan-wook, right? Like these are huge directors all over all over the world. Even in cons, he's always invited, right? You know, like John Woo, like. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, there's so many. Um, yeah,
1: but then when you think about you know black auteurs, it's it's like you've, we've got Spike Lee and that's it. <laughs> and, and so it's it's weird because I feel like there 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 are certain like certain areas, and we can go back and forth on this all day. But there are certain areas where you know, as minorities, black people in terms of entertainment have are have gotten more advancement. I mean, we now have more dramas, we're right. cast in more action films. Tyler
0: Perry's doing his thing. Yeah. yeah. Tyler Perry's,
1: he's doing something. Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, he's
0: always doing something. But um, but
1: then we don't also don't necessarily get the same respect as, you know, foreign Asian auteurs do. And I just I find it I mean it's not it's not a good or a bad thing. I just find it interesting in what white Americans choose to like to, to but favor I don't
0: even think white America chooses even those exalted directors from Asia because mm-hmm. it's it's like we're talking about like Europe like can't true. cons That's you know true. like yeah. like America is all, all about like encouraging American directors and you know like praising American directors and for sure Spike Lee is one of them even like What's that called? Boys in not boys in the hood. Straight out of Compton.
1: Oh yeah, That's yeah. Gary Gray,
0: Gary, yeah, exactly. Ryan Coogler,
1: Ava DuVernay. Exactly. Yeah. And
0: they're gonna they're gonna be making greater things, you know, bigger yeah, things
1: for sure. It would just be nice if there was room at the table for all of us. And in- like, if it-
0: no, but there is. I think there like this market is huge. It's, it's not just America now. Yeah. Like whatever America um, produces, it's gonna be watched by like the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. It just it just has we just have that type of power. It's just. Now, what do we do with this power? Like, let's make diverse films.
1: So, I would like to just have you for my final query. When was the last time you felt as though you saw yourself on screen? Something that was very similar to your own life and that you felt represented on screen. Yeah, just
0: like straight out of Compton was pretty cool. Like, hmm. you know, that's because it was, it's in LA, and everyone's into hip hop. Like. It, there isn't too much that that I see that I could like. Oh yeah, that's so me. The last thing I remember was probably Straight from Cotton.
1: Interesting. Yeah,
0: I know. Believe it or not, it's kind of. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: it's like it's because like you know I will listen to the radio every before I sleep, just mm-hmm. like really low because so my parents won't hear. Yeah. It just I kind of could relate to like hit, um, Dr. Dre's love for music. Um, where he had ever? all his lps around him i never had lps but <laughs> <laughs> and the, but then um when i was um i still remember uh, when i was like being taken care of like in uh, east oakland um one of the ladies that helped us out was this um black woman she had her own kids too but she always looked out for us and she always played music for us like stevie wonder blasting you know like mm-hmm. all these old school like donnie hathaway and all this old school stuff and I guess that kind of progressed to me just like trying to like sleep with like you know hip-hop music or whatever
1: yeah that is a truly fascinating awesome answer (laughs) yeah i (laughs) that's so cool it's it's crazy to me how a movie like straight out of compton can speak to so many different people yeah like yeah. it's it's Stereot of Confidence is sort of the opposite of my entire upbringing oh, <laughs> like, I, see. I was not allowed to listen to rap music and, yeah uh, I
0: mean I wasn't allowed to either true. it's just and I, I kind of did it in secret
1: yeah yeah well thank you so much Joe for stopping by absolutely it was Aisha. great talking with you absolutely Aisha. and I hope to see you in a lot more work that is just as good and just as meaty and, and introspective and thoughtful as Spotlight
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: As always, thanks for listening. It was a pleasure to have Alex return to the show and chat transparent with me. And I had a blast with Josa. Spot Night is currently screening at different events and locations over the next few weeks, and you can check to see if it's playing somewhere near you on strandreleasing.com. Subscribe to Represent on iTunes, Megaphone, Stitcher, or any other place you find your podcasts. Represent is produced by the lovely Verilyn Williams. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Steve Lichtig. Andy Bowers is chief content officer of Panoply. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Represent. That music you're hearing is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. Until next time.